older for this church. But this message is not only for the men of this body. Mothers, wives, daughters, sisters, female friends. Do you see your sons, your husbands, your fathers, your brothers, your male friends as marked by the Spirit of God as biblically qualified to serve as elders? If you don't, what can you do to encourage them, to spur them on, to cultivate the character qualities that the Bible indicates are necessary for leadership in the church? This morning we're going to look at what the Bible says about elders, what kind of men may serve in this role, a bit about how they're to function, how the rest of the congregation is supposed to view and respond to them, and how they are to be recognized and appointed. We'll spend more time on that last piece next Sunday, in conjunction with talking about deacons as well. But this morning we're going to look at several passages of Scripture, and we're going to examine our own structure and practice in light of what the Bible teaches. I hope that doesn't instill fear in you, like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, who on her journey to see the great wizard was fearful of meeting lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! We are all on our way to see our great Savior face to face. And along the way, He calls us to live in community with other believers, churches, where we are called to be committed to each other and committed to submit to the leadership of qualified men. The Bible calls elders or overseers or pastors, oh my. And some of you men are called and equipped by God to serve in this role. You may not know it yet, but the Spirit has been at work in your life to provide in you what it takes to serve in this role. Or... He may be at work to get you there in the future. Before we dive into the scriptures, I'd like to share a quote I heard that fits perfectly as a summary of what needs to be said here this morning. It's exactly fitting for Alfred Allman Bible Church today, even though this quote comes from almost a decade ago. Here's the quote. We are led by not just one man, such as myself but a group of men, and those men are called elders, or you can call them shepherds, you can call them pastors. Do you know who said that? John Prince. In a sermon entitled, For the Love of the Church, on September 4th, 2010, Pastor John described Alfred Allman Bible Church this way. That's a good summary of what the Bible teaches, and that's a good summary of what we're seeking to practice here today. In that sermon, he went on to say, A Christian church has a team of shepherds who provide loving pastoral care for every member of the church family. It's a team effort. I could not have said it better myself. In another sermon Pastor John preached a few years later, in July of 2013, he said, Here we have the chief shepherd who we do not see, who is Jesus Christ. I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm just one of six under-shepherds. And I say that carefully, one of six. 
I'm not like the chief under-shepherd. I'm just one of six under-shepherds. He then went on to list the six elders of Alfred Allman Bible Church in 2013. Today, we still have six elders, but two of those mentioned in 2013, two of those men who shepherded this flock faithfully, have gone on to enjoy heavenly fellowship with the chief shepherd, John Prince himself and Lee Ryan. Ken and I have joined the other four elders since then, hoping to carry on the faithful legacy of those men, those elders, those pastors. One more quote from that 2013 sermon from Pastor John. He mentioned somewhat in passing, by the way, when I say pastor, I'm talking not just about myself, but about us, the other five elders as well. Let's look at the scriptures ourselves this morning to see some of the biblical picture that shapes the way that we're seeking to function here. We first want to take a look at the book of Acts. We want to see elders in the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of how the earliest church began to develop and grow and flourish in the midst of opposition and persecution and sin. God prospered His church in those old early days, and from the earliest time, we see elders as a part of those local gatherings. Acts chapter 11, verse 30, which we won't look at in detail, it just mentions elders of the church in Jerusalem. It's the first mention of church elders with no explanation of how or when they were appointed. They're just assumed to be there. And I think the reason that there's no explanation for where they come from is because for Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, for Luke's original audience, there would be no need to explain where they came from. It would have been a natural understanding that for these early churches, particularly that church in Jerusalem, which was composed primarily, if not exclusively in those early days, of Jewish followers of Jesus that they would simply carry over the leadership structure that they understood from Israel. The Old Testament talks about elders. It talks about other offices, if you will, prophets, priests, and kings. And I would have liked to take some time this morning to explore some of that teaching, but I'm going to bypass that for the sake of time this morning. But there is a significant continuity between the way that Old Testament Israel was structured in their day-to-day ongoing leadership, as is the church today. Elders is a carryover from the Old Testament. We don't have prophets, priests, and kings in the same way that the nation of Israel did, but we do have elders in a very similar role. But more particularly, what the Jewish followers of Jesus would have known in their early days was the synagogues that they lived in and grew up in. The synagogues were very much structured with elders who functioned very much the way that Church elders are spoken of in the New Testament. They were responsible for the leadership, the guidance, the oversight, and the teaching of the Jewish people in their community. And it seems that as Jews began to follow Jesus, they simply carried forward the leadership structure that they already knew. And then we get the biblical New Testament instruction on how that's supposed to look later on. 
And so if we carry on in the story of the book of Acts, we could drop in in Acts chapter 14, and we will look there for a few minutes. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas are traveling around, planting churches and experiencing all kinds of chaos along the way, and also good success. People are coming to follow Jesus, responding to their preaching of the gospel with faith in Jesus, and turning away from their sins. And we read these words in Acts 14, beginning in verse 21. When they, that's Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city, that city is Derby, and had made many disciples, They returned to Lystra, and that's where Paul was just recently stoned almost to death. And they returned to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't you love the way the Apostle Paul encourages his people? You must go through tribulation to enter the kingdom of God. Be encouraged. And indeed you should be. He warns us ahead of time of what to expect. Following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not a bed of roses and all is happy and frivolity. There is deep joy in following Jesus, but there also is great opposition and persecution and indeed tribulation. You must go through tribulation to enter the kingdom of God. Paul's very plain about that. And that should encourage you because in doing so, in enduring the tribulation that we all must face, we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus himself. And that's good news. He goes on in verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So what we learn here is that these new churches that Paul and Barnabas are planting and getting started up, he appointed elders in every single one of them. A plurality, if you will, a multiplicity, a number of elders in every single church. These are churches that are made up largely of Gentiles. And yet they follow the same, if you will, Jewish structure that the Jews had developed and carried on once they began following Jesus. The structure is the same. The leadership is the same here. And so we're not told exactly how that appointment looked, but what we see here is a bit of a unique situation, and we'll come back and talk more about this next Sunday, but Paul and Barnabas have a unique situation, and I mean unique in that it does not carry over to today. When we're reading the book of Acts, we always have to keep our eye out very carefully about what is simply being described as what happened back then versus what is normative and explanatory for what we should be doing today. The book of Acts is very much a transitional period of history, and we have to be careful about drawing too strong a conclusion from what we see happening there, as though what happened then must also happen in the same way today. In the appointment of elders, we get New Testament instruction elsewhere that tells us very clearly that this is the way it should still be. But the appointment looks different. The Apostle Paul is not a member of any of these churches. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they're outsiders. They come in from outside, they preach the gospel, people respond to their preaching with faith in Jesus and repentance from their sins, and then they begin gathering together in these local assemblies 
churches. And then Paul has a unique delegated authority that he, an outsider, may come in, evaluate certain men in those gatherings and say, we're going to appoint these men as elders in this church. That no longer is a reality. That is an apostolic prerogative, a right and authority given to the apostles that is unique. And once the apostles are gone, that's not how it's done anymore because we don't have any of those guys. So we'll look more closely and more carefully next Sunday about how then does it continue in our churches? What does appointing elders look like when there's not an outsider who comes in to appoint them for us? How is that supposed to look? Pressing on in the book of Acts, we go to Acts 20 next. Acts 20, verses 28 to 32. Paul summons the elders of the church in Ephesus to come join him for one last meeting. And he's going to address these elders of the church in Ephesus. And again, this is a situation like the elders in the church of Jerusalem. We don't know how or when they were appointed. But in this case, we can probably infer that while Paul was with the church of Ephesus for three years, sometime during that period, he exercised his authority and appointed these men as elders for this church. Let's look closely at what he says to them on this meeting. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Note that metaphor. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now these men were called elders of the church in verse 17. So here, elders are equated with overseers. The word overseer is simply a a term that refers to the function, the role of these men. They are to oversee. They're to provide oversight. They're to uh, think about what oversight is. It's to, I'm overseeing you right now. I'm looking above you and looking down on you physically and not intentionally uh, in any metaphorical way. But I am uh, standing here higher than you and I'm looking down on you. The oversight that's provided is me, means that he's looking at the people and looking over them and watching out for them. That's kind of the idea. An overseer provides oversight. That includes guidance and leadership. It, it includes kind of shaping the things that this group of people will do together, providing some guardrails and some barriers and some guidance about what we will do and what we won't do. So there's oversight that's being provided by these elders. But notice the key point here. It is the Holy Spirit who makes men elders. It is the Holy Spirit who makes men elders. What does that mean? Well, next week when we look at the qualifications for both elders and deacons from 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and some other texts perhaps... What we should recognize is that if these qualities are present in a man, it is because the Holy Spirit has equipped that man with those qualities. The Holy Spirit makes men elders. This is not something that we work ourselves up to. These character qualities that are the qualifications for these offices are things that we should cultivate and work at to develop in ourselves But the Holy Spirit is the one who gets the credit for achieving them. If we 
have those qualities, if we are living that way, it is because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives in that way to prepare us, to equip us for that role. And so what we're looking for when we think about this is the work of the Holy Spirit in a man's life. Period. It is the Holy Spirit who makes men elders. He goes on to say what they do, and he uses another metaphor. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That verb to care for is more precisely and literally to shepherd, or we could translate it as to pastor, to pastor. You know, the English word pastor is a funny word. It's kind of a made-up word. Uh, It's borrowed from the Latin. It's just straight up brought over from Latin. Latin, so the Latin Bible saw this word, and it translated it with the Latin word pastore. And so we said, oh, let's make up an English word, pastor. And we did. And so now we've got this word pastor, and it sounds like it's something different than shepherd. But it's not. Simply a Latin word that means shepherd. Pastor and shepherd are absolutely equivalent. No layover, no remainder, absolutely equal. So pastor to shepherd the church of God. He just called them at the beginning of verse 28, 28 the flock of God. So the, the church is a flock of sheep. Are you offended? Jesus and Paul, and even in the Old Testament, God's people are referred to as sheep. Maybe you ought to be offended. That's not exactly a compliment, but it's honest. If you know yourself, you know yourself to be a sheep. And I'll leave you to explore what qualities might qualify you as a sheep. Me too. But the idea here is that we are all a flock, and a flock must be led, cared for by shepherds. And that is what he's speaking of here. And so we already see in this little verse, this one verse, overseers, our elders, our pastors. There's no remainder between these terms. They are exactly equivalent here. Pastors, our elders, our overseers. And so we'll look in just a minute about what shepherding means. He says you should shepherd the flock, shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We'll look at what that shepherding looks like. Verse 29, he issues a warning to these elders of the church of Ephesus. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Note the warning here. So he's using this metaphorical world of a a sheepfold. And the reality is a wolf, a wolf is a regular danger for sheepfolds in the ancient world. Wolves would creep in in the night and what do they do to sheep? They eat them. And they don't just eat them. I'm not going to be graphic, but they do tear them to pieces. They're not kind to them in any way whatsoever. They execute intense violence against sheep. So it is an interesting metaphor here. But notice the way he applies it. This is terrifying. 
from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So what's a, what's a wolf? It is a man, an elder, who speaks twisted things to draw the disciples away from following Jesus. The warning here is so sharp because it's saying that among you elders who Paul appointed, Paul appointed these men as elders, most likely. And he's saying, some of you will show yourselves to be wolves in sheep's clothing, or better, wolves in shepherd's garb. Men that I appointed will turn out to be wolves. Notice what he said here. He said two primary things. One, the Holy Spirit makes men elders. But on the other side of it, the Apostle Paul, a man, appoints men as elders by looking at a man's life and evaluating, does he measure up to the qualifications of being an elder? Does he have those character qualities? And Paul is saying that I, Paul, could make a mistake. I could appoint a man as an elder in whom the Holy Spirit has not been at work because those qualifications can be faked. They can be faked. A man can show himself to look like the template for an elder that you might read in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. At some point, they will reveal their true character. It's not a change. They were always wolves. But at some point, that's going to come out in the way that they teach, in the way that they lead, and they're going to lead people astray. That's the danger here. And Paul's saying that it is the Holy Spirit who makes men elders, but human beings are given the responsibility of appointing those men and recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And guess what? We can get it wrong. And I hope that... Alfred Allman Bible Church never has to face such a reality. But it happens. So, we have to take very seriously, and Paul will say this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the appointment of men to offices. It is a serious business. And we acknowledge our limitations in our perception. And we will, we will look next week at how the Scriptures and Paul himself gives us a way of somewhat checking that weakness, but still, human limitations say that we are going to make mistakes from time to time in that area of discerning the identity of a man who's even a sheep. Not only, not only are these men recognized as elders, but they're recognized as believers in Jesus. And wolves are not believers in Jesus. Wolves are not sheep. They pretend to be sheep. And we can make mistakes about that in our evaluation of people. We take great care in those things, but it's a reality that we have to face. The New Testament is not silent about that. It talks about it many, many, many times, that there are false disciples. People who are pretending to be sheep, but are not really, or maybe even believe that they're sheep, but are not really. It's a very serious matter to be careful about. And so his warning here is a strong one for these elders in the church of Ephesus. 
And the even sadder part is we know that he was right. The letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Timothy is being sent by Paul into the church of Ephesus. And a big feature of both of those letters has to do with false teaching that's going on in the church of Ephesus. And we can look at church history and see that that is the reality that unfolded for many, many years. So he was right in his warning. It's a sad reality, but there it is. Finally, in verse 32, given that warning, given that danger, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He commends these elders to two things. One, to God. Given the danger, he says, I commend you to God for protection. I commend you to God that He might protect you from this danger. That He might preserve you from the danger that the wolves will pose. That they wouldn't tear apart your flock and destroy you. He commends them to God. He prays that God would be the one to preserve and protect them. But he commends them to a second thing. The word of God's grace. What's that? It is the gospel message. He commends the elders to the gospel. Why? That is the tool that elders are to use in their shepherding. The gospel, the word of God's grace, the message about God's grace, the message about the grace of God provided in Jesus Christ. That is our tool. We have nothing else to work with. When we're shepherding the sheep, we must go back to the gospel constantly, both for ourselves as elders, but also for the sheep themselves. We must feed and nourish you with the gospel. You need Jesus. Just as much as you did before you came to believe in Him. You need Jesus today. And our job is to tell you that. And to show you how. And to show you how the gospel, what God did in Jesus 2,000 years ago, is relevant for what you're facing today. That's our job. That's the job description of an elder in a nutshell. We're to take the gospel and apply it to your lives. In conversations, from the pulpit, in counseling rooms, everywhere. We take you to Jesus and what He's done for you. You don't need something else. You don't need some strategy beyond that. You need Jesus and what He's done for you. His work is sufficient for what you're facing. And it takes a little bit of skill and practice to do that effectively. And so we need to talk about the way that elders labor. What do we do? What do elders do? What How are we supposed to be functioning in this role? Elders labor in different ways. I'll unpack that in just a moment. But first, let's start start in 1 Peter chapter 5. The first thing that elders do, he said it in Acts 20 there, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. But shepherding is a metaphor. So what does that mean on the ground? What is shepherding? Let's see how Peter says it. He's not going to give us a whole lot of practical outworking necessarily, but we can talk about some of this. So 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you. Now remember, Peter, in his first letter, is writing to a whole bunch of different churches. So he wrote down the letter we know of as 1 Peter, and then he sent it off with a messenger to go to that first church, and then they took it to the next church. And then they took it to the next church, and they took it to the next church. Or maybe he wrote it down, 
And then they took it to that first church, and that first church copied it down for themselves, and then they passed on the original to the next. Something like that. But he's writing with different churches throughout Asia Minor in mind. He's addressing different churches, and he's addressing the elders in each of those churches at this point in his letter. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter is an apostle. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But now, at this point in his life, he's also an elder. An elder. Not the only elder, but an elder. Now, if if church history is accurate at this point, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. What can you do? But if it is, and I think it probably is, Peter settled down in the church of Rome as an elder with the other elders of the church in Rome. He was not the solo elder, because that's not a thing. He was not the pope or the first bishop. Bishop just means elder. Um, That's the Greek word used for overseer. Comes across as bishop in English. He was not unique. He is a fellow elder with other elders in the church of Rome. And so now he's writing to these other churches, and he's addressing their elders in this last section of his letter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So here's his exhortation, verse 2. Shepherd, or pastor, the flock of God that is among you. How? Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So let's stop there for just a moment. So he says, pastor the flock of God that is among you. The local church in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. How do you do that? What does pastoring look like? Well, he says, first of all, exercise oversight. We already talked about that's kind of the management aspect of things. We're looking after the people and what they do together kind of shaping the things that we do together when we get together, planning events and activities and all that jazz. Now, a good bit of that can be and is delegated, right? Lots of people in this body plan lots of things that are good and helpful. It typically runs under the elder's oversight. What does that mean? Well, we want to look at an activity and say, does that activity, like bowling next Saturday, for example, does that activity edify the people? Is it an opportunity for something good to happen for the people? Is God involved in bowling? He can be. So we would oversee that in the sense of saying, yeah, that's a good thing to do. But some activities we might not put on the calendar because it doesn't fit with building up the body of Christ and honoring God. I don't know what that would be. I haven't seen anything like that come across my desk or come across the calendar, so we're doing well uh, in that regard. But it's that kind of thing that oversight involves. There's a lot more probably in the practical sense, but it's looking over what the body's doing. I wonder if you're okay with that, you private Americans, individualistic private Americans. Do you like the reality that God has given responsibility to certain people to be in your business? Because he has. Not just the elders either, but each other. We opening ourselves up and letting people speak into 
our lives, the hard places and the mundane? Do we welcome that reality and let people in? Or do we, I, I do what I want and nobody needs to speak to this area of my life. That's not the picture of the flock of God that we're given here. You know, sheep tend to huddle together. And they tend to be able to smell each other. And the shepherd's right there in the midst of it. He's supposed to have the smell of the sheep upon him. Because he's supposed to be so intimately involved with the sheep that he, he smells like them. He's dirty like they are. <laughs> he's caught up in the midst of what they're doing. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything without the shepherd. Now, I'm not going to apply that extreme that you don't do anything without a shepherd's involvement. But I think you get my point. There should be this openness and this willingness to let not only the shepherds and the pastors into your lives, but also each other more generally. Exercising oversight, how do we do that again? He gives some ways to not to do it and ways to do it, not under compulsion. So when we're thinking now at this point that it would, it would really be good for this body if we added one or two men to join us in the work of oversight. We're not looking for anybody to feel a, a burden about that. To feel like, I have to do that. Or if I don't, I'm guilty. Or, you know, I'm not really doing enough. Maybe that would be a good thing for me to do. This is not a guilt trip. There's no compulsion here. This is a voluntary kind of thing. This is something that someone must, as he'll say in First Peter, First uh, Timothy 3, someone must aspire to. There's a desire aspect. you got to want to do it. It's hard work. It really is. you got to want that. It's not something anybody can say, you know, I think you're qualified for, why don't you get up here and do it? We won't do that. We might talk to you and say, you know, we think you fit the model. What do you think about that? Would you like to? Do you aspire to do that? I'll give you some time to think it over, but... There's no compulsion here. There's no force. There's no requirement here. No man is obligated to become an elder. It is something that must be pursued with eagerness, willingness. And then he adds a phrase there, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, is what the ESV says. Literally, the phrase is, according to God. According to God. So, exercise oversight according to God. What does that mean? Well, it might mean, as God would have you, as the ESV has it. So, according to God, meaning according to the way that God would instruct you to exercise oversight. Or, and I think slightly more likely, it could mean exercise over, oversight according to God, meaning the way that God exercises oversight over His people. So the shepherding of elders, the shepherding of pastors should be mimicking and reflecting the way that God shepherds His people. He is our model for how to shepherd sheep. He does it best, after all. And He is to be the one that we imitate in our shepherding efforts. So, uh, exercise oversight, step into this role, not for shameful gain. Don't think that don't come to this, aspire to this office because you think that people will like you or people will respect you. It might not be true all the time. Um, so don't be deluded about that. 
But also, don't think that there's some kind of prestige that you can achieve by this. There is respect called for for this office, but that should not be a motivator for why someone would step into this role or aspire to it. And there are those who might think that they could get some money out of it. Well, don't think that either. Shameful gain, uh, financial advantage is not a proper motivator for stepping into this role. Instead, be just eager, eager to step into the role. You want to do the work. You want to do the work. Even in the face of disrespect. Even in the face of sheep who are stubborn and won't respond well to your shepherding. Because that's the reality, oftentimes. Step into it eagerly and with full acknowledgement of what you might be facing. Hard work. There are obstacles. Count the costs but aspire to it as the Holy Spirit works in your life to equip you and to call you. Not domineering over those in your charge. It's not the elder's job to stand up here and tell you what you must do. That might sound odd because we do a good bit of that. We tell you what you must do. But everything that we tell you to do, we seek to draw it from this book. We, we, will not, we seek not to give you instruction or counsel that's not drawn from this book. It is God's Word who has authority over you, not me and not the elders. We exercise the delegated and derived authority as we hold out this book to you. That's our job. We don't stand up over you, lording it over you, saying, you know, we have this authority, so you've got to listen to us. This book says you've got to listen to us. So, we'll talk about that in just a second. But we don't step up here and if you don't listen to us, we're not going to beat you over the head. We're not going to, there's not going to be a penalty exacted or anything like that. Or there shouldn't be. You're accountable to God for how you respond to the leaders of your church. And He will hold you accountable. Instead of standing up here and telling you what to do, Peter says, be examples to the flock. In that, we are reminded that every shepherd is also still just a sheep. We are sheep. We are sheep that God has put out in front of the other sheep. That's all. That's all. We are sheep, and we are to be examples to the flock. We're we're to live out our sheepness in front of you, and hopefully in a way that we can say honestly with the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I hope those of you who are elders and those of you who might aspire to be elders in the future have confidence enough to say that to someone. It's not an arrogant thing to stand up in front of someone and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Knowing that our imitation is imperfect. We're not the real deal here. We are the imitation. (laughs) But we've got flesh and blood on. We live where you live. And so the idea would be that you could see the way of following Jesus lived out in our lives with stumbling along the way, with struggles just like you've got, and we seek to do it trusting Jesus all the way, and that's the example that we set for you. That's the goal here. In verse 4, Peter gives a motivator, a very interesting motivator. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
I will admit to you very freely that I want that. I don't even know what that is, but I want it. I want it. And I don't think that's seeking shameful gain. This is the reward that's held out to elders. The chief shepherd, when he appears, when Jesus returns, will give you the unfading crown of glory. I don't have a clue what that is, but I want it. I want, I want the recognition of the chief shepherd. I do. I want to please him. I want to honor him with my shepherding work. I want to do my shepherding the way that he does his. And I hope to receive whatever this is because he's promised it. And I, I want that. And I hope you don't look down on me on that because I think I'm supposed to because he says I'm going to get it. (laughs) But that is a motivator. If that's one reason, that's a good reason, not a wrong reason, I don't think, to want to aspire to the office of overseer. There is a reward that's offered to those who serve in that role. And I don't think it's wrong to expect and hope for that. So let me say just a few words real can I be brief? I don't know. We'll see. Um, how, what does shepherding look like just in general terms? In a sermon that Pastor Ken preached two years ago on this topic, he had a little quick summary that was really helpful under the headings of lead, feed, and protect. That's a good, job. That's a good way of summarizing what a shepherd does. Lead sheep, feed sheep, and protect sheep. In fact, we won't take the time to do it, but if you read Psalm 23... The first four verses, you will find that right there. Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. That's good old King David saying, God is my king. That's something I haven't said yet, but in the ancient world, in the Old Testament specifically, but in the ancient world all over the place, shepherding is a regular metaphor for kingship. The way that a king is supposed to rule his people is supposed to mirror the way that a shepherd deals with his sheep cares for his sheep. And so it's this whole issue of leadership. The primary model in the Bible, there are others, but the primary model and metaphor for leadership in Scripture is shepherding. And it applies specifically to the king. So in Psalm 23, when David says, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, Yahweh, the Lord is my king. And then he uses the metaphor to show how Yahweh leads, feeds, and protects him. You can read it later and think about that. But our job, our responsibility is to lead you, to feed you, and to protect you. Leading is that aspect of exercising oversight. And again, setting an example. We're standing out in front of you. That's what leadership, one aspect of it in the New Testament means, is to be out in front of the people so that they might follow you where you go. Live like you live. And so we're to set an example for the flock leading you. But think about the shepherd who is traveling around the wilderness. There's this, you've got to lead the people to get to safe places where they need to go. It's hard to separate these three, lead, feed, and protect. They're all bundled together because the shepherd leads the sheep to where they can eat good food. So there's the leading to feed them and there's the leading to protect them. You lead them in places that are safe for them and you lead them away from places that are harmful for them. That is a good job description of what we're seeking to do. We seek to feed you from Sunday to Sunday, from this pulpit, and in small groups, and in Sunday school classes, and Epic, and in all these other places. 
We are seeking to feed you with the Word of God. That is the food that you need. That is the food that will nourish you and keep you healthy. Jesus said it, quoting Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we seek to present to you the whole counsel of God. Not just from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Romans and Revelation, but from Judges. The whole counsel of God. You need it. And we seek to feed you in such a way from the pulpit that we can teach you how to feed yourself, sort of. God never intended, never intended for a believer in Jesus or one of his people to live alone with his Bible. You are not meant to read the scriptures in isolation from other people. We are meant to read the Bible together in community. Not just under teachers, but in community together. You cannot see the truth of scripture by yourself. I cannot see the truth of scripture by myself. The Holy Spirit does indeed work in you as an individual to give you insight into what you're reading. But most often and most consistently, He works to help you as an individual understand what you're reading through other people. His work in another person is what will bring help to you in your understanding of the scriptures. That's why we do it together. That's why we have Bible study groups. That's why we preach to the gathered people And that's why we encourage you, don't just sit at home and listen to podcasts. And don't just sit at home and listen to recordings of me preach, even though I'm your shepherd. Be here so that you can be with the people of God. And if you do have to be elsewhere and you do have to listen online or whatever, talk to somebody about it. Have a conversation with somebody else who listened to the same thing. Fellowship together around this book. That's called having a meal together. Eat this book, but don't eat in isolation. God has given us each other. God has given us each other to help us know Him well. So we're to feed you. We seek to do that from up here. We seek to do that by providing a marriage class that's rooted in Scripture and pointing to Jesus, that's collecting together lots of different Scriptures and engaging with cultures. The elders are seeking to provide that for you so that you might eat well, so that you might be well-nourished, so that you can live well. If you're malnourished, you don't live well. You don't thrive if you're malnourished. You've got to eat well. And it's the shepherd's responsibility to ensure that the sheep are eating well. Because if we don't do our job, you won't eat well. Sheep inevitably will wander and find things that are harmful for them. And that's where the protection aspect comes into play. It's easy, especially today, with access to everything under the sun, so easy on our phones, on our computers, for a sheep to go find something that looks really good but is actually poison. It's our job as shepherds to be able to look out outside of the field where the green, healthy grass is, this, and everything that points to this and is derived well from it, to see out there that there are weeds. And some weeds have really pretty flowers. And they're attractive. And and sheep have a tendency, let let me be direct, you have a tendency... I have a tendency to go towards what is attractive 
and just take a little nibble. But it's pretty quick before I'm just nibbling and I just swallow the whole thing. That's the way sheep will eat. They'll gobble it down, not knowing that it was poisonous. And then you're dead. It's the shepherd's job to know what kind of flower that is and to know that it's full of poison. So the shepherd has a responsibility to protect you from eating things that are bad for you. You know, you know what that means on the ground? That means that I care very much, and I'm going to step on some toes, maybe. I'm not going to be specific, but someday I will, <laughs> inevitably. I care about what you're reading in the privacy of your home. I care what preaching you're listening to outside of this building. I care about what you're reading on Facebook and what you're reading online. And if I come into your home, everybody's going to go clean out their house and make sure they hide things now. If I come into your home and I see something on your nightstand or your coffee table that is giving you a Jesus that is not the Jesus I know from this book, I'm probably going to say something about it because I care about you and I don't want you to be, po- to be poisoned. Because here's what happens. You read stuff out there that presents Jesus to you, but it is a Jesus that is different than what's given to you in the Scriptures, and you can't tell the difference. Discernment is not a spiritual gift. Discernment is a skill that takes practice and effort. Hebrews chapter 5 ends with a word about discernment. And it says that our powers of discernment are trained by constant practice. This guy up here, at least, I can speak for myself. As a shepherd, I take it as my responsibility to work really hard to practice discernment. So that when I see something, I can tell why it doesn't line up with Scripture. And I will have those conversations with you because I care about your health. I care about your soul. And I care about the way that you live. Because if your soul is malnourished, you won't live well. You will shrivel up over time. So it matters to me and it matters to the rest of the elders here what you're consuming. We can provide you with a diet that's grounded in Scripture. We strive to do that. But we know that you're eating other things sometimes. And we want to help you Navigate the fields as best we can. I've lingered too long here. Leading, feeding, and protecting. That's the job of a shepherd. I've, this section that we're talking about right now is about the varied labors of elders. Elders labor differently. I want to say a word about salaried elders. That phrase comes straight out of the Alfred Allman Bible Church Constitution. Salaried elders. It refers to this guy standing up here right now and can shut in this body. It is a phrase that is used in the Alfred Allman Bible Church Constitution to define the term pastor. Now, we've already seen that biblically pastors and elders are exactly the same. However, there is biblical justification for the distinction that we're trying to get after in the constitution of a salaried elder. Let me show you that biblical justification. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Paul says to Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 
For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, Paul tells Timothy that, again, Timothy's primary job, it seems, in part, was to appoint more elders in the church of Ephesus. There's been some turmoil there, and they need more elders. And one of the things, the reason that Paul lays out the qualifications for eldership in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is because Timothy needs to know those things because he's been given authority to appoint elders. And so he needs to know, what does an elder look like? And so Paul lays that out for him very clear. And so as he's appointing these elders, he also wants to commend the ones that have already been serving there and have been serving well. They are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, what does that mean exactly? We might think, well, it means somehow you measure respect in respect currency or, uh, I don't know, how do you say, how do you double the honor? Not sure exactly, but could be in a monetary sense or a compensatory fashion in the form of compensation. And that's what verse 18 gives us. He quotes two passages of Scripture, one from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, and one from the New Testament. One of those rare places where the New Testament quotes the New Testament. It's pretty exciting. He's quoting Jesus' words as recorded in Luke chapter 11. In the second one, the laborer deserves his wages. No figure of speech there, just literally precisely talking about the payment of wages. And it is true that the language of honor in Greek can refer to monetary honor or compensation. The New Living Translation gives verse 17 the understanding that I think is just right. And please don't see this as (laughs) self-serving. It says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, (laughs) especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. And I I think I can speak for Pastor Ken as well. We are grateful for the compensation that this body is providing for us to do the work that we are doing, to labor in preaching and teaching. The distinction is a biblical one. That's my main point here. Salaried elders is a thing, biblically, uh, that some might be paid so that they don't work a separate career, so that they give their time, their energies, and their labor more fully to the work of preaching and teaching specifically, but to the broader work of shepherding as well. But that load is meant to be shared amongst many men. And some men, and in many ways, I respect the men who don't get paid for their work a lot more because they have they're, they're, they have careers. God is using them in different places and in different ways and has called them to give their lives the 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week of their lives in other areas, and they choose to give almost the rest of it to serving this body. I hope you recognize that in the men who serve as elders here. Finally, elders are to be respected and obeyed. So here's what the scriptures say about how does the flock of sheep, how is the congregation supposed to respond to elders? First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. And that phrase could be that last phrase, and are over you, could well be translated who rule you or who lead you. Probably a more 
generic way to say that, who lead you. He's talking about elders who lead you in the Lord. That qualifier is important. Who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I hope that you love the elders of Alfred Allman Bible Church. I hope that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because they do work hard on your behalf. Very hard. Shepherding is challenging in a number of ways. And the men that I am so privileged to serve with, it's not an exaggeration to say that they are giving their lives to this body. And I'm so grateful to be among them. The point is simple. Sheep listen to and heed the voice of their shepherds. Sheep listen to and heed the voice of their shepherds. I can tell you from experience and also from just watching other elders, not just here but in other places, the most painful thing and the most grievous thing that we experience is when we're working with sheep And they just refuse to listen. It is so painful. And then, inevitably, every time I can think of specifically, chaos unfolds. Chaos unfolds. These words are here not by accident and not just as a simple aside. Paul is instructing the church for the sake of its health, for the sake of its thriving. Sheep listen to their shepherds. They heed their shepherds when they counsel them. Hebrews 13, 17 even says it more directly. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I have groaned as an elder, and I have heard elders' groanings. They're keeping watch over your souls. Do you know yourself well enough that you are insufficient to keep watch over your own soul? Would you entrust your own soul to yourself alone? Do you really think you can see yourself well enough that you don't need somebody else to look after you? Now you might say, well, I've got a spouse for that. And I can attest to that. I've got a spouse and she looks after my soul. She challenges me while I'm being an idiot. It's part of looking after your soul. In fact, it's another story for another time, but it's one of the reasons I married her. She put me in my place one day and I said, that's the girl for me. Um, But as you who are married or have been married will know that oftentimes... Your spouse might be too close to the situation. And either that means they're too harsh in the way that they deal with your soul, or they have a tendency to let things slide. That's why you need other people who can look at the bigger picture, who can take a step back and look after you that way. And the responsibility is given specifically to elders, shepherds, overseers. Pastors, But notice here, there's a little bit of a warning here. And this is something that needs to be taken seriously by men who are aspiring to the office of elder. 
you will have to give an account for your shepherding of the sheep. This is not something to be taken on lightly. It is a serious business. We will stand before the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and we will have to account for our labors in your life. You will have to give an account of your own life, but those in the responsibility of shepherding will have to give, a, give an account of your life also. That will look very different, differently, I think. But it is not to be taken lightly here. But the command here from the author to the Hebrews is let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When you make our lives miserable, it's not good for you. <laughs> when you make the lives of elders and overseers who are seeking to help you and shepherd you and care for you, when you make their lives hard, when you make them groan, because you just won't listen, it's not good for you. We can't help you if you won't listen. So do yourself a favor. <laughs> listen and heed the words of your shepherds. We need to close and move into a time of communion. And I want to, thinking about this leadership issue seems so high, and we're talking about technical authority and structure of church and things like that. And what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, we've, we've talked about Jesus some in the midst of this message, but we must remember that He is our one good chief shepherd and overseer. Jesus is our one good chief shepherd and overseer. John ten eleven, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And if we are to model that in our shepherding... The elders of this church will seek to give their lives for you. Not in an atoning sense, not to pay for your sins. That's one and done, friend. Jesus laid down His life to pay for the sins of sheep. That's done. John ten sixteen. Jesus goes on to say, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now we're talking about the local church here and this individual flock of sheep. There is one sheep, one flock of sheep. We're all unified across the world under the headship, the shepherding, the oversight, the rule of one great shepherd, Jesus himself. 1 Peter 2.25 For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yes, human shepherds, human men, human elders have responsibility to look after your soul, but you need to know that we are doing it under the guidance of the chief shepherd, Jesus. He is the one who looks after your soul. He is the one who is responsible to preserve you to the end. We don't have the power to do that. We just have the power to talk to you and to say this word to you and call you to respond to it. But beyond that, we can't do anything. We can't get inside your heart and make you listen. We can't change you where you need to be changed. Only Jesus can do that. And the beauty of it is, He will. No one can snatch a sheep out of Jesus' hands. No one. Not you and not anybody else in the world. The sheep are secure in His hands. The shepherds of this body are not going to get it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes. And sometimes that means sheep are going to leave this building and leave this fellowship. They're going to slip through our fingers, but that never happens with Jesus. He holds us faithful to the very end. 
Finally, remind you of 1 Peter 5, 4, which we've already looked at, looked at a bit. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The interesting thing I want to point out there is that phrase, chief shepherd, could very well, very happily be translated, the senior pastor. The one place in all of Scripture where someone could be referred to as a senior pastor, it's Jesus alone. So let's look to him his shepherding, his leadership to equip us. I'm going to pray, and I'd ask Pastor Ken to join me at the table and the men who are going to serve us to join us as well. Father, thank you for this picture that you've given us, this model of shepherding, this model of pastoring, this model of eldership and oversight. Would you grant the elders of this body grace to do the work of the shepherd faithfully, to do it in a way that reflects the work of the chief shepherd on our behalf. And would you call up more men? Would you show the work of the Holy Spirit in men's lives that those who aspire to this role might come to serve at the right time in the right way? And would you grant us wisdom for how to move forward in our shepherding and to do it well as a team for, this, for the sake of this body and for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.